0: All glory be to Christ. Amen. Well, happy Mother's Day. It's good to see everyone this morning. Let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer. Father, we are so grateful for uh, just this opportunity to come together and to worship you and to sing your praises. And as we were just saying, Lord, all glory be to you. Through everything that we do, through everything that we say, uh, we just pray that we are servants used by you to bring the most glory possible to Christ. And even in this uh, sermon, in this time this morning, we just pray that you are glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this past week, I just returned from our Highland Rome trip. And this was the first time I've ever been in the city of Rome. And there were many things that were astounding and amazing to me. But the thing that stood out the most was the incredible buildings and architecture that fill this city. Never before have I been in a place where you can literally walk down roads that are 2,000 years old that would have been the same roads that were there at the time when Christ would have walked on the earth. I mean, that absolutely astounds me. Just think about it in our country. If a building makes it to 300 years old, it's like a monument, and we put a plaque, we put plexiglass around it, and, like, you know, it's the most incredible thing. Multiply that by six— and that's what you have over in Rome. And they just let little kids go running amok and you know, you can climb on the mo- all these things. These were buildings that were built to last. And one building in particular stuck out to me. I have a picture of it right up here. It's the Pantheon. And this was a building that was constructed just under 2000 years ago. And look at how well it's preserved. And as we went in and we saw this in the care and the delicate instruments that they used and uh, just the strategy of pouring the concrete to make this dome, I mean, it was absolutely incredible. And because of that, the builders have constructed a building that has lasted through earthquakes, through floods, through the city being ransacked and invaded multiple times. It has stood resolute. It has stood the test of time. Now, I want you to think about that building and then contrast it with another picture I'm going to give you. So a few years ago, I was reading uh, about a uh, building project over in China in a booming area of Shanghai. There was the Lotus Riverside apartments that were being constructed, and it made world news at this time but not for the reason that you would hope or imagine. It wasn't because they were the most luxurious or wonderful apartments in the world. Instead, it was because a nearly completed 13-story building fell over flat like a domino during a rainstorm. So what happened, the builders, here's a picture of what it looked like after it fell down, right? fell down flat. Thankfully, no one was living there yet. It was just nearing completion. The problem was they were slapping houses together so quickly during this construction boom, they didn't, t- set, they didn't take the time to set the right foundation. As the rains poured, the soil moved around it, it added pressure, and the whole thing fell over like a domino. It's embarrassing, and the legacy of that building is one of destruction and failure. Now, contrast that to build, those two buildings, one was built with unparalleled precision and care and intentionality. And because of that, it's left a legacy of greatness. The other was thrown together and was built lackadaisically. It wasn't given much care or, or careful planning or anything like that. And it leaves a legacy of, of brokenness. It, it fell down like a wobbly Jenga tower. Now, you might be wondering, what, what am I getting at here? Well, what's my purpose with these two buildings? Well, I want you to think about this. We are all called to be builders by God. God has called all of us to be builders of godly, faithful families. And if we want families that are firm, that are resolute, that stand the test of time and leave a legacy of faithfulness and greatness, it takes intentionality, it takes care, it takes dedication. None of us want the apartment building to be an analogy of our families, broken and failure. Right? But to do that, we must build godly, faith, faithful found, uh, families by building on the right foundation, by following the builder's blueprints, and with a whole lot of intentionality and prayer. And that's exactly what we're going to see this morning in Psalm 127. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Psalm 127, and you can follow along as I read aloud. It says this, starting in verse 1 Unless the Lord builds the house, Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he, for God, gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. That's our passage this morning. And as we read through it, at first it might seem like this passage is a little disjointed. It might seem like verses 1 and 2 don't really correspond that much with verses 3 through 5. You have something about building and guarding and then you have a very clear reference to families. What's, What's going on here? Which really not disjointed when you understand what the author, which happens to be King Solomon, is trying to accomplish. This is only one of two psalms that Solomon actually wrote. And in this psalm, he's giving an overarching principle in the first two verses and then a specific application and implication in verses 3 through 5. So what's the overarching general principle of verses 1 and 2? Essentially, it's this. Whatever endeavor we take in life, apart from the Lord, is vanity. Whatever endeavor we take in this life, apart from the Lord, is vanity. And then in verses 3 through 5, he says, Therefore, as we endeavor to build families, we need to make sure that God's the foundation, the architect, and the co-builder of our families. That really brings us to our big idea, our big takeaway today. This is, if we were to summarize in one statement what this psalm is getting after, it's this, we need to build faithful families. Build a faithful family. The ultimate goal of this psalm is to remind us that families are God's special unit for producing godly arrows, godly children, uh, ready to be shot out and make an enduring difference for God's glory and God's kingdom in this world. But godly children, godly arrows, they aren't formed in a vacuum. Families, good solid families, they don't just happen by accident. Now more than ever we need Men and women, fathers and mothers, we need faithful people to step up and have a desire and a passion for training up the next generation in the way they should go so that when they're old they won't depart from it. I just want to pause and say I am so impressed with the families that we have at Highland. We truly do have many mothers and fathers, countless families that are seeking to do just that. And on Mother's Day, I specifically want to pause and applaud all of the mothers that are working so tirelessly to raise up their children in the fear of the Lord. We appreciate you, and we're so grateful for the way that the Lord is working through you. So let these words today be an encouragement to you as you are seeking to do, I think, what the psalm is already telling us to do, to build a faithful family. So we're going to see three ways, three applications for how we can continue to do that. So as we jump into our passage, look at the beginning of verse 1 again for our first point. It says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So unless the Lord's the foundation, unless the Lord's the builder, whatever we build, whatever we construct, it's it's all vanity. So point number 1, we need to make sure to select the right foundation. As we seek to build our families, our homes, our lives, we need to select the right foundation. Solomon is making a profound point here. He's saying that we cannot successfully raise our homes, raise our families, without making God the foundation of our families as well. Homes and families built on any other foundation than God's revealed truth are ultimately what this passage says, it's it's vanity. Why Solomon used that word vanity? What does that actually mean? Well, when we look at the term vanity in scripture, it gives the idea, the connotation of meaninglessness, of emptiness, of futility. So essentially this is what Solomon is saying. Apart from the Lord, frustration. Apart from the Lord, meaninglessness. Apart from the Lord, emptiness. What Solomon is ultimately saying is this. You can have the wealthiest family in the world, but you still can't take a dime of it with you when you go. You can have the most successful family, the most powerful family in the world. But even as Jesus said, many in this life that are first will be last, and the last will be first in the kingdom of heaven. You can have the most athletic family in the world. But I think what Paul says in, when he says, uh, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise not just for the present life, but also for the life to come. So if we build our values and our priorities for our family on the same ones that the world builds, we might achieve success in the eyes of the world, but ultimately it's vanity if it doesn't have an eternal perspective for the Lord. It won't make any difference in light of eternity. I think of what Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about the foundation that we can build our lives and our families upon, and he gives us two ideas here. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, God's revealed truth, but and does them, he will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, when the trials, the tribulations, the difficult times came, they, it did not fall because the house had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, well, he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against the house, it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus makes it clear. A wise person builds their life their families, their homes, on the solid rock of God's revealed truth. The foolish person builds their life, their homes, their families, on the shifting sandy soil of worldly wisdom and worldly success. And that's an important reminder for all of us to hear because it's so easy to let a little bit of sand start to make its way into the foundation of our lives and our families. And if we're being honest today, if we were to expect, inspect the foundation of our lives and our families we'd probably all find a mixture. We'd find some good rock of truth, but we'd also probably see a little bit of sand of distraction as well. We need to be so vigilant to guard against that. As we think about this image of foundations, I want to just give us a word of caution against two of the most common, sandy, shifting foundations of this world that many families are being constructed upon. The first one is this. Think how tempting and easy it is to build our families on the sandy, shifting foundation of success. We live in a world that's very achievement driven, don't we? We live in a world that's all about being successful. There's a lot of families that make success the highest priority for their homes. Think about how many mothers and fathers feel the pressure to turn into workaholics, to get that next title, to get the next paycheck, to get the next raise at the very expense of their families and their loved ones. I think about how many high school athletes and even their parents feel immense pressure from their coaches to make their sport the number one priority in the world or else you're going to find yourself on the end of the bench and so much for you being an athlete. Right? I think of... Families that make getting straight A's and getting into the right college to get the right degree, to get the right job, to have a successful life, the ultimate aim for their children. We feel this pressure all the time to make success and achievement the driving force of our families and we have to be on guard against that. Not saying that achievement and success are bad things, but they're bad things when they become the ultimate thing. That's the first wrong foundation. a second wrong foundation that we have to be on guard against is the foundation of recreation and hobbies. We also live in a world that loves to be entertained. We live in a world that desires and craves nonstop entertainment, comfort, and fun. Now, entertainment and comfort and fun, those are not inherently bad things. Don't hear me saying that at all. Those are good gifts from God to be enjoyed in their proper place, but the problem, once again, is when those things supplant the spiritual things and take the priority over God. Because if God truly is the foundation of our lives and our families, then we're going to see that reflected in our schedules and in our priorities. We're going to prioritize worshiping on the weekends. We're going to prioritize family devotions. We're going to prioritize prayer and youth group and just all these other spiritual things in our life and make that the foundation. But wow, we live in a culture where there's a lot of things competing for our time. There's movies and television shows. There's the never-ending schedule of our favorite sports teams. There's camping on the weekends in the summer when we get like four nice weekends a year, right? There's boats uh, and going out and wakeboarding and and, uh, water skiing. There's bowling leagues. There's countless other things. Now, don't hear me. Those things are not inherently bad. I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm saying those are bad things when they become the ultimate thing and the top priority. It's so easy to substitute one of those hobbies or recreations as the foundation for our lives. If God's supposed to be the foundation of our homes and our lives and our families, sometimes I think instead a lot of us are tempted to treat God like the landscaping of our, of our families, right? When you go up to a house and you see a house with nice landscaping, it's a nice finishing touch. It's visible for everybody else to see, but it really doesn't do much difference for the daily uh, needs of the home, does it? In fact, landscaping can be hiding a cracked and broken foundation. I think there's a lot of people that try to add God as the landscaping, the finishing touch, but he's not the foundation upholding the entire family. We have to be so careful to guard against that. We need to make God the foundation and keep God the foundation. So what are some ways that we can do that? Here's just a few ideas, a few suggestions. One could be a few times a week at dinner, setting down the phone, turning off the TV, and just having some family devotion time at dinner at the very beginning. Have one person while everyone else is eating. Pastor Jeff has mentioned this before. I think it's a great idea. Just get a devotional, read through a passage, read through it, just, uh, pray, for, pray for your food, and just enjoy a time of family devotion around dinner, the dinner table together. For some, it might be just taking that opportunity to uh, make it a priority to be at a worship service once a week, no matter how busy or crazy your schedule gets. No matter what's going on, we've got a lot of different variety and options of ways you can worship and part in just saying, we're going to make it a priority to be at church once a week so we can model that to our family and our children. Maybe it's just instead of shying away from spiritual conversations with your family, pressing into those. So asking your family members, hey, what can I be praying for for you this week? Taking those times to disciple your family. Taking those moments on the car ride after church on Sunday on the way to lunch, just asking what everybody learned making those spiritual conversations a normal part of the DNA of your family. But you know, even when we do make God the foundation of our families, raising a family is not always going to be easy, is it? There's still going to be a lot of seasons when we're tempted to feel anxious and restless. There's going to be times where God's plans are confusing and unexpected. And in those moments, it's going to be very tempting for us to feel anxious and respond uh, with feeling overwhelmed with fear instead of overcome by trust. So as we move into our second point, we see that we need to learn to trust the builder's blueprints. We need to learn to trust the builder's blueprints as we're raising our families. Just listen to the words of the second part of verse 1 and verse 2. It says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, working, 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 eating the bread of anxious toil, for God gives to his beloved sleep. Essentially, this is what Solomon is saying here. God is the ultimate protector and provider of the family. He's saying it's in vain if on your own power you are working hard, you're anxiously toiling and thinking about how am I going to provide this? How am I going to protect these? How am I going to do all these things? He says, don't be anxious. He says, as we seek to follow God's plans, as we seek to align our lives with God's will, we can protect, we can provide, but then ultimately we can find sleep and comfort and peace knowing that God is ultimately in control and we can trust him. We learn to trust the builders' blueprints. We learn to trust the builders' blueprints. Now, that's not always easy when you're raising a family or you're a mother or a father. Now, I don't have any children yet, but I have kind of picked up on the fact that raising kids can be a little hard at times, right? I've kind of picked up on that. Nurturing and caring for children can be difficult. And in those moments, we can be very tempted to feel anxious. That vision here of being a watchman that stays awake all night guarding over the city, I'm imagining there's a lot of mothers who totally get that, right? You are the watchman, you are, watching, you are mother bear watching over the cubs and you are out to get the enemy that's coming to try to snap. You are there to protect and provide. And that nurturing, uh, loving mindset of a mother, that's a great thing. This, this passage isn't rebuking that. It's just saying, don't make your ultimate trust in yourself. Realize that as you're seeking to do those things, God is the ultimate person behind. God's the ultimate watchman. God's the ultimate protector and provider. Do your job, but then also find peace by saying, okay, now I can trust God for the rest. And you know, I think about this when, there's been many moments in my life when I've given my mom a phone call and told her I'm going to somewhere that some would consider dangerous for a mission trip all around the world, right? And my mom is totally the watchman of the city. Right? Growing up, she is the mother bear to protect her cubs. That is totally my mom, right? But in those moments, I've always been really impressed by how she responds in something that could be very anxious and uh, causing anxiety and hard. She would always say, you know, that makes me really anxious, <laughs> but, but I'm excited for you to go because the safest place for you to be is in the center of the Lord's will. That's, that's what my mom has always said. And you know, uh, were there moments when I was on that trip when she was tempted to feel anxious? Oh, Absolutely especially when I give her a call and say me and my entire team were just evacuated by a SWAT team off of a plane because they thought there was a terrorist on board, right? Different story for another time. You can ask my mom about it later. But yes, of course she's fit. But in those moments, I can trust the Lord. Did I get some phone calls from my mom telling me to be careful and be very vigilant when I'm over there? Absolutely. Was I always? That's who knows, right? But did Were there sleepless lights, nights where my mom was awake and probably praying for me? Absolutely. However, she knew that she wasn't watching in vain because the Lord was the ultimate watchman and she could find her safety and security and peace in that. When there's that constant peace of trusting in the Lord, we learn that we can trust the builder's blueprints no matter what. And that's so important because as we're seeking to build our families... There's going to be seasons and moments when God's blueprints don't always make sense to us. And we have to recognize that our blueprints for the family must be submissive to his blueprints for the family. And that's such an encouraging thing because when we stop and think about it, we realize that if we truly are seeking to do God's will, if we truly are his beloved, if we truly are called according to his purposes, his blueprints are the best blueprints possible. Romans eight twenty eight gives us that guarantee. So in those moments, when we're tempted to feel confused and anxious and not go what's on, we can ultimately trust in the Lord and realize that we can trust his blueprints even though God doesn't let us see the finished product. That's the hardest part, isn't it? God has the blueprints. A lot of the time, we don't get to see what God's building with our families. He just calls us to trust him along the way. And that means with our limited perspective, there's going to be moments where we stop and wonder, God, why'd you have to demolish that wall? (laughs) Why'd you have to tear down that light? Why'd you have to rip up that floorboard? Because we can't see the finished product that God has in mind. There might be some of you out there today that this has been a hard year. There have been moments where maybe there was an unexpected financial turn and it's left you feeling fearful of the future. There might be some of you that got an unexpected medical diagnosis or an injury that completely rewrote the plans that you were building for your family. Maybe there's some parents out there today that have some children that have wandered from the faith and that fills your heart with pain and sadness. There might be some of you out there that are struggling with infertility and that was never part of your plan. Or maybe there's some of you out there that for your blueprints, you would have been gotten married by now, but that hasn't been God's blueprints for you, Right? Those are moments that are hard. Those are moments that are difficult. And when that happens, we can be tempted to do two things, complain and compare, right? It can be so easy to complain, so tempting, so easy, where we think, God, why are you doing this? This wasn't my plan. These aren't my blueprints. Why are you doing? And as I read through the Psalms, especially the Lament Psalms, I see a whole lot of times where the Psalmist cried out and said, God, you're not doing life the way I wanted. (laughs) But in those moments, as we reflect on our right theology of who God is, that he's good, he's in control, he's building our lives into the masterpiece that he wants, we find the faith to say, I trust in the builder's blueprints even when I don't understand. We're tempted to complain. We're also tempted to compare, tempted to keep up with the Joneses, right? That old saying, the idea is this, sometimes we take out our blueprints for, that God has for our family and we start to compare it to the blueprints God has for another person's family and say, I kind of like their blueprints better. And we start to feel a little discontent and jealous, right? It's really easy to do that. But here's a truth that we need to keep in mind. God doesn't like track housing construction when it comes to his spiritual families. What I mean by that is this, when I lived in California, I lived in a neighborhood that had about 1,000 people in townhouses and every single townhouse was identical. The same paint, the same landscaping, the same everything. And if you changed one little thing, you faced the wrath of the Orange County Housing Association, (laughs) HOA. And I did one time. I left our garage door open for an afternoon, right? They took a picture of it put a note on our front door that said, close your garage door or else, right? Like I get a a threat about leaving my garage door open. That's how seriously they took this. Everything needs to be identical. God doesn't work that way. Every single family that God is building is an original custom work unlike any other. It's pointless to compare because God's blueprints for your family aren't the same as anybody else's because yours is custom specifically designed for you. So instead of comparing, we need to remember that God is working all things together for our good. He's building the perfect house, the perfect family, the perfect life for you if you trust him and follow his leading. As we move into the last section of our psalm this morning, our focus changes from trusting to training. In verses three through five, we see this idea of training. They give us some amazing guidance for how we can train up the next generation of children and people for God's glory and God's kingdom. And for our third point, I think this is the essence of what Solomon is saying. We need to focus on fostering faith in our families. We need to focus on fostering faith, on building up faith in our families. Listen to verses three through five. This is what Solomon writes. He says, behold, Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like the arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man, the woman, the person who fills their quiver with them. They will not be put to shame when they speak with the enemy in the gate. Now, at the end of verse 5 here, we have this picture of a father, and let's just say a mother and father, standing at the gate of a city, facing off their enemy. And then also we see this idea of sharp arrows being pointed behind the mother and father towards the enemy, ready to defend and protect them. And here's essentially what Solomon's getting after. When we raise up the next generation of arrows in the discipline and the fear of the Lord, they will be like arrows pointed at the spiritual enemy trying to get into the gate. They'll be ready to defend against the schemes of Satan. They'll be ready to push back against the schemes of this world. They'll be ready to be used in the hand of the Lord to be shot out as an arrow that will build up his kingdom and bring him glory. So we're going to see some ways that we can build those arrows. But before I jump into that, before I jump into this last section, I do want to quickly pause and address a topic that's oftentimes overlooked on Mother's Day. What about the women who desire to be mothers but for some reason or another have not been able to be? Or what about women that chose not to be mothers? I, I, I don't understand the pain and the hardship that you've experienced. They don't pretend to. And I don't pretend to understand how difficult Mother's Day probably is each and every year. But as we look at this passage, I also want to give a word of encouragement. And the word of encouragement is this. As we think about filling our quiver full of arrows... I don't think that has to be interpreted just as biological arrows. I think what Solomon is getting after here is filling your quiver full of spiritual children as well. Because there's a lot of women in here today that maybe they don't have biological children, maybe they aren't a biological mother or grandmother. You are certainly a spiritual mother and a grandmother, a surrogate mother and a grandmother to many. And this holiday is just as much about applauding you. I think of... A example of when I was a high school pastor over in California, there was a a young lady who was about 16 at the time whose mother was in and out of rehab and eventually just kind of left her and her daughter, and they were kind of on their own. And as I was doing some counseling with her, I kind of reached out to her small group leader who was a gal in her late 20s. She'd never been married. She didn't have any kids at the time. And as I was sharing all these difficulties with her, the girl said, well, why doesn't she come live with me? And she did. And this young high school girl moved in with this leader. And over the last two years, this leader's helped her get her grades from F's to A's. She's helped her apply to college, get accepted to a great college. And she's helped her completely turn around not only the physical trajectory of her life, but also the spiritual trajectory of her life. That's her daughter. That's her daughter. Maybe not biologically, but absolutely spiritually and relationally. So today we celebrate mothers and grandmothers and surrogate mothers and spiritual grandmothers. We celebrate everybody who has a desire to impact the next generation for the glory of Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we raise up those arrows? Well, first, we need to commit to seeing children as a reward for the Lord. We need to maintain the right perspective. Look at verse 3. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. That sounds a little obvious to say that we need to view children as a reward, but it does not go without saying in today's culture. There are many people that I interact with that say, I don't like kids. There are a lot of millennials I interact with that say, I never want to have kids. A lot of the times why I ask why, it's because they're time consuming and expensive. They take away from the focus of my life being about me, right, and you're right, kids do, they are. They are time consuming, they are expensive. Can I get an amen, right? Yeah, absolutely, they are, but they're also a reward. Children are blessings, not burdens. Amen. And as parents, we need to keep that perspective in mind because there might be moments where you can be tempted to see a kid as a burden rather than a blessing, right? I think about Wednesday nights after one-way club uh, over in Weston, sometimes we'll walk through the facility and just the other day I look over and there's blinds laying on the floor from dodgeball. I go in the next room, there's graham crackers smushed into the ground. I go on the last building and there's crayons all over the wall, right? And it's like, yeah, children are a blessing from the Lord. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I have to remind myself, wait a minute. These are kids that are coming and hearing about the Lord and being trained up in the truth, and they are wonderful. Yes, children are a blessing. <laughs> I think about some friends of mine from California that they heard a very similar message on this passage probably eight or nine years ago. And at that point, they were young in their faith, and they were both a couple that said, we're never having kids because we like being independent. And God just kind of smacked them upside the head, and they realized they were missing out on a blessing. And even though they were unable to have physical, biological kids, they have since adopted three wonderful children. And their family is truly blessed by the Lord. And I love seeing the joy that they have. They know that children are a reward. So if children are a blessing, what's the application from that? Well, here's the application don't miss out on the blessing. Be around children. Be around children. Whether that's, you have a family with lots of little ones and you need to spend more time with them. Whether that's serving here at church, there's a lot of kids that need some love. There's a lot of spaces that we have in our children's ministry for you to serve. Or whether even a young adult, maybe it's enlisting in big brothers and big sisters and adopting one of those little kids as as your little brother. I've been a part of that program for two years now and it's been great. Don't miss out on the blessing. Surround yourself with children. But then we also, when we have this idea of children being like arrows, a couple last ideas. First, children truly are like arrows. We have this image of an arrow. First, we need to realize that we need to shape the arrow. When you think about an arrow and you go out into the woods and you pick up a stick that you want to turn into an arrow, what do you have to do? You have to whittle it. You have to shape it. You have to make sure it's straight. You have to make sure it's pointed enough that it can sink in the target. It takes work. It takes shaping. Likewise, we need to shape the next generation so that they're ready to be shot out and make a difference for the kingdom. So how do we shape them? What's it's the daily, uh, the daily idea of discipling the next generation. First and foremost, we shape them by leaving an example worth imitating. We should be able to say to the next generation, imitate me as I imitate Christ, as Paul was able to say. If you operate by the philosophy, do as I say, not as I do, that will not work. It will not work. Your children will grow up to prioritize and value the things that you value. Going back to the different foundations, when we talk about the foundation of recreation and distraction, if you've modeled to your children, to the next generation, that hobbies, sports, all these other things are more important than God, don't be surprised when they go out from the house and hobbies and all those things are more important than God. We model them, right? We model right now the character and theology that they're developing. Model the right behavior. Second, take real the responsibility to disciple and train the next generation in whatever capacity you have i think about when i was a kid i was part of the awana program growing up and i was a kid who was the worst memorizer you could ever meet i was terrible at memorizing i felt so bad because eventually later on i got the you know that timothy award for getting all your books and stuff but it really wasn't me my mom got the timothy award right Because that poor lady for hours would have to sit down and work on the same verses with me every single week because I just could not memorize. But my mom would sit down and we'd come up with weird hand motions together so I could remember it and all these types of things. But that was the way that she was shaping the arrow. Because of that, those verses have lasted and made an impact. What are the ways that we can be intentional about pressing into our children, the next generation, their spiritual lives and shaping them for Christ? And as we seek to shape those arrows, we remember how important it is to do it now because as we're going to see here in a couple of weeks for Grad Sunday, there's going to be a time where you have to release the arrow. And we want to make sure we've done everything we can to point them in the right direction, to keep them straight, and to make sure they're going to make a difference for God in this kingdom. But lastly, we want to fill our quiver full of arrows. We want to fill, is the man who fills his quiver full. We we'll want to fill our quiver full of arrows. Now, for some of you, that application might be filling your quiver full of biological kids. I've been amazed at Wisconsin at the size of the families I've seen since I've moved here. I came from California where a family of four was usually a couple and a dog and a child, right? But I moved to Wisconsin and our state representative just had his ninth child. I'm not used to these things. So maybe that's the application for you. Have a quiver full and have 10 kids. That's great. But for, the, for all of us, here's another application. Fill your quiver full of spiritual children you can never have too many disciples that you've made, right? Fill your quiver full. You're never too old to adopt a spiritual child. I think about a couple of couples in our young adults ministry that are beyond retirement age. They're getting up in years, but they are absolutely looking for more arrows to add to their spiritual quiver. They are like spiritual surrogate parents to the people in their small group. What an encouragement to me. What a challenge to me that when I'm that age, will I continue to be making disciples and looking for arrows that I can shape and train to send out into the world. So as we've looked at this Psalm today, we're reminded that God wants godly, faithful families that we build. As we think not just about our physical families, but we're all part of God's family. We're all part of the Highland family. What can we do to make sure that we are a church that's sending out thousands of little arrows into our world, into our culture to make a difference for God, his glory, and his kingdom. Let's get building. But to do that, we have to build the right foundation, follow the builders' blueprints, and make sure that we're fostering faith. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for this challenging passage that has a word for all of us. And we're so grateful that you would use people such as us to be your builders, to be your your, your hands and your feet in this world. It's a humbling task. It's an intimidating task. But Father, we recognize that as we build, we're not building in vain. As we watch, we're not watching in vain. Because ultimately, if we're seeking to do your will, we know that you are a part of it. So God, we pray that your will be done. We pray that your glory be expanded through our lives and through our church. And ultimately, as we were singing earlier, all glory be to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.